with Nationwide Everywhere on the BetQL Network. We got 10 NBA games tonight, Trista. We got breaking news in the NBA, although I don't know if we count a trade that happened early afternoon breaking news, but it's being counted as breaking news, so we're just going to consider it breaking news the rest of the way. Uh, that that's just seems the way everybody it goes. But yeah, loaded up with the NBA, and we're starting to get down to that point now where I'm looking, I was looking over, you know, looking at the divisional round games today going, God, we're getting fewer and fewer NFL games. We have a few weeks left in the NFL season. It goes by fast. We joke about it, right? Can't believe it's week 12. Can't believe it's week 13. But once we start getting to the playoffs, this thing goes fast. Yeah, it does. I have something really quick in college basketball Mm -hmm. at my own peril. I lost every bet last night. Um, We're back at it again. UConn (laughs) at the crib against Creighton. This is an actually an awesome game. I'm super excited about it. If you saw me looking up, I'm trying to put it on my screen up there. Uh, UConn has been pretty damn good against the spread. They are exactly equal. UConn's such an over team. Creighton is an under team. The total is 146. I stayed away. I just took UConn minus six. Please, Lord, let me not be stupid. Please let this be a good bet. I I felt last night, Nick, I was on the right side of TCU plus three. They were Mm -hmm. up all game. Thing went to overtime. Mm-hmm. where dogs go to die and they lost by four college basketball this time of year again i've said it and i'll say it again you got to be brave to bet on it. it it's more unpredictable than the nba everybody jokes right about betting on the nba and how hard it is and it, look it's difficult right you and i are doing N- nba parlays pretty much every single night we've got stuff you know like all, college basketball to me is even more unpredictable because anytime that you have a game where an unseeded team plays a top five team, there's a chance that that top five team gets beaten. Well, in the NBA, there's a better chance like you're at least comfortable with the Nuggets playing some of the, like the worst teams in the NBA. You know, so it's I think to me, college basketball this time of year is insanely frustrating. So I'm rooting for you on that. I've stayed away from that. I do have some NBA bets. How many parlays you got tonight though? Because I'm gonna guess you've got at least a couple going on with ten games tonight. I just like uh, I just. which I know is crazy, but we're talking about the dregs here. We're talking about the Houston Rockets. No shade of the Houston Rockets. They've done a good job as a franchise as opposed to last year, kind of like the Texans to a degree. I like the Knicks to be able to at the crib at Madison Square Garden to get busy, especially with OG Ananobi. We talked about this as soon as the OG Ananobi trade happened. Jalen Brunson has been a big facilitator. He's been able to score, yes, but his assists have gone up from right around the five, five to six range to sometimes 10, 11, 12 assists. So I like Jalen Brunson over seven and a half assists. Malik Beasley is somebody that's actually played really well recently. I mean, really, it's been a good season for him in general, having Giannis and Dame there from Milwaukee. So I'm actually going over on his points. It was at 10 and a half when I got it and over on his threes. Uh, he's gone over in points in three of his last four games. He's gone over in his threes and that number specifically, the two and a half in all four of those games. I mean, Dame and Giannis are just giving him an opportunity to kind of get open. And I feel like he's one of those guys that's gone under the radar. We saw back in the day, Malik Beasley was a guy that, besides spending time with Larissa Pippen early on and kind of helping her stay away from that, this is a guy that could get you like 20 points a game back when he was in Minnesota. So very underrated in terms of the props market for someone that really isn't getting noticed enough. So I'm going to jump on the Malik Beasley train tonight. Also, another one that's kind of under the radar, Isaiah Stewart, over 17.5 PRA. 
It's a really low number for a guy that's gone over this in his last five games, 16 points in each of his last two games since coming back from just being injured. So that alone, the points are getting you right almost to that number. Another very, very low number where the market is. And Boyan Bogdanovich over 17 and a half points. No Cade Cunningham again out there for Detroit. They're not a good team, right? You know, this team loses on a regular basis. Uh, they're really bad. But Boyan can go out there and get your points. So somebody sitting there at just 17 and a half when you have no Cade Cunningham, kind of taking away a dynamic from the Pistons, more touches, more opportunities for Bogdanovich. So I'm going to take the over on those points as well. Can I interest you in mm -hmm. some Jalen Duran? Jalen Duran's point prop is only 13 and a half. His rebound prop is sitting there right around nine and a half, minus 125 on both sides of the over on both of those props, over on rebounds, over on points. Jalen Dern, I don't know if you've been seeing what he's been up to, Ashley. I might actually jump mm -hmm. on him late. I haven't been thinking about him, but oh my God. He had a prop the other night that was points and rebounds, and it was 30 and a half. And he was like, I was like, wow, Jalen Dern, that's kind of a crazy prop number. The game that it was against the Wizards, you know, your favorite team, 20 yeah. and 20 and 19 that's 39 blew that prop i love jalen duran in this spot he's gone over 13 and a half points since basically one game into january 16 20 21 15 20 he's been really shouldering the bulk of the scoring load without cade cunningham i like him to get busy in the paint even against rudy gobert even against carl anthony towns yeah, 20 points. You mentioned that 20 and 19. I mean, it's it's amazing. The Wizards, the market's starting to catch on. You talk about high, how high that number was. They've started to now figure out what we've known for a while. Big men against the Wizards, you take the over on points and rebounds. Every single time, it hits majority of the time. If I had the percentage in front of you, I'd love to tell you I don't. But it's at probably about 70 to 75%. So, But Duran in general has had a really, really good year. He's somebody that, you know, coming out of college, I wanted, actually really wanted the Knicks to draft him. But, again, they, they cleared cap space, traded Dang. that pick, got themselves a Jalen Brunson. So, that's fine. Like, I get it. It actually worked out. I've been I've been more than, uh, you know, honest in the, hey, Leon Rose knows what the hell he's doing. But, you know, for a Pistons team that's as atrocious as they are, he has been someone that has really just from year one to year, like, the way that he's jumped as a player so quickly has been really one of the more underrated, under-the-radar stories of the season. So, I, I think with him – you kind of just take overs every single game on exactly that. Again, you're not going to hit it every single time. But, right, you know, there's some players you look at and just say, they're going to consistently do it. It's like PRA for Nikola Jokic. You just take the over, and occasionally he's not going to hit. But who gives a damn? Because even if it's at 60%, you're going to still have yourself a nice little profit. I'm going to get on it right now. Like, it's, it's starting in three minutes. I get a little, like, uh, clock on the book. Hey, it's time for you to bet this. Hey, yep. like your time is expiring. So I'm going to go ahead and jump on Jalen Duran. Why? Because I feel like it's the right play and I need some action in the NBA outside of just the Knicks. Got to have a little bit of that. And of course, the breaking news in the NBA, Trista, the Pacers win the Pascal Siakam. I, I guess we could call it sweepstakes, but at least it's only for the rest of this season. Uh, th this this is a Pacers team now. Do you look at their win totals gone up to 45 and a half? They're 20 to one to win the East. Like this doesn't affect the top of the Eastern Conference. But what it does is it shows you 
it's a it's a Pacers team that's in now. They want to win now. They gave up multiple first round picks, gave up Bruce Brown, a couple of other players that were, you know, throw-ins and nobody really cares about. Like this though is a Pacers team that says we want to win. We want to win now. We recognize what we have and they're really ahead of schedule. They've not just been a fun team, but now they add somebody that brings everything that they need. You got a guy that can defend. You got a guy that can go out there and score. He plays the wing. It's exactly what the Pacers needed. Now you're adding that with I mean, my God, the greatest passing point guard that we've had since, what, Magic Johnson out there. I mean, this is this is a Pacers team that could at least win a playoff series, I think, now at this point. They still got a long way to go in terms of growing, getting some of that playoff experience. But they're in now. They're ready to win now. And clearly, by what they gave up, they're very confident that they could do something moving forward in terms of a deal and keeping Pascal Siakam their long term, which means the Pacers are a team that's not just trending up now, but trending up moving forward in the NBA, too. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, this is just, this is a team that we've had high hopes for, high expectations for. And like I said, I had conversations with the GM and they said, we, listen, we need another star. It's not going to work just with the pieces that we have. And there they go, finding a way. And it's a rental. We're, we're going to have to see how it all works out, dude. Because yeah. Pascal Siakama said to every team, do not trade for me. I will not extend with you. I need to test free agency, which is fascinating. It it shows, though, like, if you look at the NBA right now, doesn't it feel like we talk so much about the parity in the NFL, but it really feels that way in the NBA, too. Like, there's a lot of, and maybe not, like, there's a difference between very top of the East, very top of the West, and then kind of the middle. But there's a lot of parity after, like, the top two or three teams in the Eastern Conference where you're looking at a bunch of different organizations that at least – can have the expectations of taking that next step, right? Like that, not championship contending. I'm not even looking at the Pacers, the Eastern Conference Finals, but I am looking at a team that sees their opportunity here. And it's kind of a testament to just where the NBA is as a whole, where there is a ton of parity there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the East is more interesting than the West, considering there are teams that I'm excited about. I'm excited about Orlando. What are they going to look like? I'm excited about the Pacers. What are they going to look like? The Cavs have been really good too. We haven't really talked about Cleveland. Cleveland is on a heater right now. They may look to make a trade yeah. at the deadline. Maybe some insurance if Donovan Mitchell decides he doesn't want to stick around. I'm fascinated by this team, especially considering they're not even fully healthy yet. Is that Does that mean that those players that are now gone were an impediment to their success? I don't think so, but I am excited to see if they can build on that momentum when they get their players back. Where does it put the Pacers in your eyes at this point now? Like, do, does it elevate them past the Cavs? Does it elevate them past the Heat? Because the Heat are actually playing defense again, which we know is their calling card to begin with. <sighs> it's a great question. I think at least it puts them in the top six. We know that. Mm -hmm. I think, like, pretty much solidifies them out of the play-in. But I think that they have a shot to make noise. And I think it's all about the fit between Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam. Halliburton being hurt is tough, right? Because you want that yeah. chemistry to build Pascal Siakam right now. But I tell you what, Pascal Siakam will never find driving lanes like he will find with Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton on the floor. Because he has been bunched up not being able to really move in space because he's on a team with no shooters outside of, you know, the 10 games or so with Emmanuel quickly and kind of RJ Barrett. So now that he's got all of this space, I think Pascal Siakam is going to be one hell of a prop to take on a night to night basis until these lines move. 
he's going to be able to score at will, and probably his defense is going to pick up too. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great point that you bring up. It's like sometimes having a fresh start changes a player, and you get a new opportunity, you get some new, uh, you know, pieces around you, a new system, new coaching staff, like all those. And sometimes it's a mental thing, right? It's just that fresh start and being out of really an organization in Toronto that doesn't have the expectations the Pacers have now. So, like, what does that do for Pascal Siakam? I think you're right in that sense where you look at it, and they're going to want to get him involved early. They're going to want to make sure that he kind of feels acclimated to the organization. Like, let's get him the ball a little bit more so he feels comfortable here. And you start taking over his game after game. It's going to take a few games for the books to really adjust to that. So that's absolutely somebody I think that, that you consider there. You're right, though, when you talk about, like, the top six. And that may just be the back end of the top six in the Eastern Conference. Because I'm looking right now, Boston's going to finish with the best record in the NBA. You know they have the easiest schedule the rest of the way, and currently, at least right now, in terms of strength of schedule, for the rest of the mm -hmm. season, the Boston Celtics. So sitting at 31-9, and nine, a win percentage of over 775, like – that, it's going to be tough for anybody to dethrone Boston at the top of the Eastern Conference, let alone you know the entire NBA. But you got the Bucs after that. I wouldn't put the Pacers above the Bucs or the Sixers. The Cavs, the Cavs and Heat are interesting, though, right? Because we've seen Cleveland went – Cleveland's actually played better since Darius Garland's been hurt. So when he comes back from that broken jaw, do they struggle a little bit acclimating him again? Does Donovan Mitchell's production come down a little bit? Does that mess with the chemistry and the five-game winning streak that they have right now in Cleveland? So you could argue that Indiana could maybe jump the Cavs. Could they jump the Heat? Uh, the Heat are a much better defensive team, but we know they're getting older. Do they start to wear down as the season goes on and have to grind their way through the playoffs like they did last year? The Knicks are a team that's certainly been playing relatively well, but they had you know, a bad loss the other night. But this is still a Knicks team that's kind of trending upward. The Magic are another team, right? You said it, like trending upward. So the Pacers are kind of right in that mix of maybe at best they're four and maybe at worst they're, I mean, I would say, I guess seven, maybe eight if it really starts to fall off right. and the Magic and the Knicks start to win. But like, that's the Eastern Conference right now. Look at all of the space you have there and all of this up and down as, as, as really the, the rest of the season goes on. We're not even at the All-Star break and we still have the trade deadline coming in three weeks, or who knows what some of these other teams in the East may do. And on top of that, you talk about the difference between four and eight. It's only like two games. I mean, the Cavs are 23 mm -hmm. and 15, and the Magic are 22 and 18. So, I mean, that's a win streak or a losing streak. That's one key injury to a guy. Jimmy Butler obviously has missed time. He continues to miss time throughout season to season. You know, now once – and listen, like the Pacers are seven and three in their last ten. And that's without Tyrese Halliburton for a large, you know, bulk of those games. So when he comes back and you have Pascal Siakam, and listen, they're not done. They still have OB Toppin. They still have Buddy Heal to package up with some picks. Right. And get maybe yeah. another piece. It's, it's amazing how, like, if you really do commit yourself to building a young team, right? Like building with youth and, and being able to identify the right pieces that will fit. And this works in anything. This works in the NFL. This works in the NBA. If you're able to do that, you can flip a team so fast. I think the Pacers are a great, great example of that. They're not the only one, but in the NBA, they're one of those good examples of like, we saw where they were and all of a sudden they're now buyers before the deadline even happens. So, all right, Tom McCarthy is calling the Baltimore-Houston game this weekend. One of our favorite games on the slate. We'll talk to him next. It's BetMGM Tonight. Now, back to BetMGM Tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Here's the great Nick Ashew, BetMGM Tonight. Avoiding the ice outside. Black ice, not a good thing, Trista. We'll just hunker down in these, uh, hunker down. 
You know, I at some point, we, we don't do, obviously, that many shows remote, if you're watching us on Twitch or YouTube or any of those. At some point, should I switch out the Bobby Boucher and Shane Falco jerseys for anything else, or should I keep them up? I've got others. Yeah, flip them out. All right. Yeah. I think you should get um, just your new quarterback. You should probably get a Drake May jersey, North Carolina. Yeah. You should probably get, should probably get um, maybe a Bob Myers, maybe a Golden State jersey because he helped you get Adam Peters. <laughs> got to do that. You got to just – come on. I, it's, I just, like a, it's like a kowtow, like almost like an altar to the new state of your team. I – I just can't believe that I'm actually excited about the future of my team. The Commanders have a chance to actually be a legit NFL franchise, and it's been a long, long time since I've been able to see any of those types of things. But the interesting thing is, too, we know in the NFL, right, you can flip things around very quickly. The Houston Texans are a great example of that. They head to Baltimore this weekend where they're nine-and-a-half-point dogs, uh, but they are a team that went from the number two overall pick to a team now that won a playoff game, is in the divisional round. And Tom McCarthy is going to call that game for Westwood 1. He jumps on with us now. Let's just look at this Houston Texans team big picture, man. Like, you've like we've all watched, whether you've called every game or somebody's called one game or watched a little bit or a lot. Mm -hmm. The Houston Texans are one of the best stories, Tom, in the NFL this year from what they were able to do last year. New head coach, new quarterback. When you look at this game this weekend against Baltimore, I'll be honest with you. I think they can at least keep this thing close. Do you think Houston can at least, given what they did against Cleveland's defense you know, earlier this year, like to carve up what Baltimore has going on? I feel like they're playing with house money. It's a team that's loose and really could make this complicated for the Ravens. Yeah, I think they could definitely make it complicated. By the way, I would, I would, uh, I would parlay the orange jersey for some kind of a light blue uh, Drake May jersey. That's just my opinion, more than anything else. Um, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> my, so yeah. So my thought is, and I've said this today on on on, on other networks. I, I think if they run the football, if they have Devin Singletary and Pierce and guys like that, and they control the clock, and then do what to me what the Packers did to the Cowboys. They can handle it. Now, I will say this. The linebackers for the Ravens absolutely kill me. I mean, they are unbelievable. So that's the big thing that they have to deal with. So, yeah, I think they can make it close. I still think the Ravens are going to win the game uh, only because of Lamar and the way he can control the clock. But I think if you could take it away from him, then you could probably make it more of a game. Yeah, two things. There was no reason to bring up the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. Really just <laughs> kind of kind of like a big red flag. Like, that's an unnecessary roughness to me as a Cowboys fan. Was, that a, was that a jab at you without me knowing? Yeah. Was that a jab? That's what, we call, that's what we call an unintentional ricochet shot. That's why I lifted my head up in despair. I saw your head go up. Uh, I saw your head go up. Yeah, I knew that it was just for you since I was off camera. You talk about uh, Devin Singletary and what he, they want to be able to do. Seven attempts for just 15 yards in week one. Damian Pierce, who they thought at that point in week one was going to probably be the lead back, 11 carries, 38 yards. So they weren't really able to get much going on the ground. No. What, are the, what are the two biggest differences that, or what are the biggest differences that you see between Ravens week one till now and Texans week one till now? Yeah, so I, I don't think the Ravens are much different except for the fact that their backfield is is obviously banged up compared to week one. I think they're actually different than they were in week one, obviously. Um, I do think that the Ra that the, the Texans are better because C.J. Stratt is totally different. He's a totally different quarterback than he was week one, week two, week three. Uh, he's playing with a lot of confidence. 
But I also think that Devin Singletary is running with the with way better ability than he did than he was with Buffalo before. I think he's playing with confidence as well. I think their offensive line is better, banged up. I, I don't know how much time. I think one of the keys is is Tunzel whether he's healthy or not and how healthy he is on the left side of the offensive line for the Texans. But to me, the biggest differences are in week one, the Ravens offense had their pieces. The Texans offense were still trying to figure out what their pieces were. Um, I, I, I still think the Ravens win this game, but I do think that the, the Texans are a different, more confident team than they were early on this season. We obviously see what C.J. Stroud does on the field, right? His ability. And earlier in the year when you talk about that offense and them still trying to figure it out, I mean, week two, he threw for 384 yards, right? Like C.J. Stroud, yeah. right away you went, oh, like this kid's got it. But what is it that you see in him outside of just what he does on the field that's made him such a good quarterback and such a good leader this year? Because I'll tell you what I see. I see a kid that looks like he's 30-something years old in terms of the maturity and the leadership that's already there. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good key. So – we've met with all the young quarterbacks this year when it comes to our CBS games. And I met with uh, CJ a week or so before I met with, um, you know, with the Carolina Panthers. And I sat there and thought, wow, CJ Bryce young, how's it different? It's different in the way that they currently understand how to feed defenses. Um, I think that Bryce young will understand defenses down the road, but I think CJ Stroud, now understands defenses. Uh, he's bigger. He's stronger. He, he it, It's just a, a whole focus on what he's supposed to do. And I was really impressed with that. I, I didn't expect that when I sat down with him and talked to him. I, did, I wasn't, I, I was very impressed with the way he dealt with questions about, you know, how he would approach defenses compared to other young quarterbacks. So to me, there's some things outside of the game that he has that I don't think people understood before he was drafted. And obviously the Panthers didn't. Again, I, I, I think that Bryce Young is going to be really good down the road, but I think CJ is ahead of him. But I think it's because he's the way he's able to read different defenses and understand his offense more than anything else. And he's got better weapons right now. Well, we I mean, we know that he does now, right? Because – he has made them so. But at that point in time, yeah. I think they were the worst receiving core ranked in the NFL. We had no idea who Tank Dell was going to be. Nico no Collins doubt. had been banged, banged up through the course of his young career. Dalton Schultz was a nice pickup from my Dallas Cowboys. Noah Brown, a nice pickup from my Cowboys. But he, <laughs> he certainly elevated them a ton. You've covered this game a long time. Who does he remind you of in, in terms of other quarterbacks that were phenoms right away or turned into phenoms? Uh, in the course of your time covering the NFL? You know, that's a good question. I, I think that you have to go over the, the guys that are able to read defenses in their first year and understand them in their first year. And there's very few quarterbacks that, to me, Cam Newton understood defenses in his first year of playing uh, in the National Football League, guys like that. Um, I actually thought that Lamar, when he started playing every day, understood more than people thought defenses in a really different way than C.J. Stroud. So to me, he's like a lot of the other young quarterbacks. He's different than Josh Allen because Josh ran well in his first two years. 
CJ doesn't run because he doesn't have to run, but I think he understands defenses and how to throw through them and over them, like Josh Allen did when he was with the with his first two years of the Buffalo Bills. Like to me, he is he's probably four years down the road where many young quarterbacks are, you know, one or two. They're advanced. He's advanced beyond them. So to me, he's it's exceeded anybody's expectation. I don't want to say Brock Purdy because I don't think anybody knew Brock was going to be what he is. But I do think that he reads defenses like Brock Purdy read defenses when he came in late in his first year with the San Francisco 49ers. Talking to Tom McCarthy, BetMGM tonight. Let's look at the Ravens side of things here. I look, there's a plenty of narratives out there when it comes to the Ravens and the playoffs and Lamar Jackson. It feels different to me, though, because, well, one, he's got his long-term deal. He's healthy. You've got a better offense, more weapons to be able to throw the football to. Hell, Mark Andrews might be back soon for the Ravens, too, which is a whole other yeah. thing to think about down the road. But, like, when, when you look at this Ravens team now, we spent a lot this year trying to figure out who the best team was in the NFL. And it felt like it was kind of went in waves, right? Like it was the Eagles for a while, but we were just kind of worried about some things with them. Then it was the 49ers, but then the Ravens beat the hell out of the 49ers. Are the Ravens the best team in the NFL in your eyes that, that is left in the playoffs? Uh it's funny because I have this discussion all the time with folks about it. I don't think they are, but they probably are. Um, I, I, I think the 49ers are the best team in the playoffs right now, just balance-wise with McCaffrey and with Purdy and, yeah. you know, with Kittle playing the way he's playing. But every time I think that, it makes me sound like a naysayer for the Ravens. Um, <laughs> I do think defensively they can handle a lot of things. But I still, I, I still think the 49ers are the best team left in the postseason. But, I, but I'm left wondering if I'm leaving too many things on the table for the Ravens because of what they've been able to accomplish. And I'll admit that. But to me, the Niners are the best team. I, I think this is the Super Bowl matchup, the Niners and the Ravens. Um, and I think it's going to be a good one. But I do think that right now the Niners are the best team. But the Ravens are a team that people are leaving on the table wondering – how are they doing this the way they're doing it? What we've seen, and probably one of the reasons that you can't yet fully believe that they're the cream of the cream of the crop is because it's the me. Ravens... Yeah, it's definitely me. <laughs> it's definitely me. Well, I mean, I, I think it's pretty normal and, and understandable considering that the Ravens would start all these games off to this hot start. They'd get up big and then they would let teams creep back in. And that's yeah. been kind of a bugaboo of theirs all year with two weeks off, ostensibly one week off. Plus they rested their starters in week 18. Which version do you think of the Ravens that we see this weekend? So I think it's the Ravens that you, you saw early on that were dominating teams that will use the structure of their offense. And you guys mentioned it before. If Andrews comes back, I did his last game. And he controls a lot of the offense. Um, I think they're going to – I think it'll be a version of earlier Ravens, not later Ravens, honestly, that you'll see this weekend against the Texans. And I think that's good. I think it'll get them through this weekend. I think the challenge will be either the Chiefs or the Bills moving forward. That's my, my thought. Uh, can they handle what the Chiefs and the Bills have – or Chiefs or the Bills have in the AFC Championship game? Tom, you called the uh, Steelers-Bills game. 
And the the Bills are one of the most frustrating teams to me, like this entire season, right? We, we look at a team where you go, you see yeah. all the talent that's there. They've dealt with a lot of injuries, clearly. But then Josh Allen, like you kind of don't know what you're going to get from him. Do you get the four t- total touchdowns like you had last game? Do you get a bunch of turnovers like you had to end the regular season, yet they still find a way to win? When you watch this Bills team and the way that they're playing right now, they're three-point favorites at home hosting the Chiefs. Crazy to think Patrick Mahomes' first road playoff game of his entire career, which is a yeah. mind-blowing stat for that. But do you see a Bills team that has enough to maybe get past these Ravens and get to the Super Bowl? Uh, I do, uh, and I, I think it depends on how they structure it. Now, I, th- I do think Gabe Davis being out last week, and I'm not sure what his plan is for this weekend, uh, I do think that weighs heavy on them. But I will say this, the two tight end set of Knox and Kincaid really does help them. It's very different than anything else in the National Football League right now. It really is, because both of those guys, to me, Kincaid is like a slot receiver that is, is the wide-body guy, so he can take over. In a lot of ways, you can give digs to the outside. Uh, I do think they have the ability to play. Now, they're banged up in the secondary. And, and I do. The, my, my thought is that the Chiefs can take advantage of that this weekend. Uh, but I, I, I think they're the – and I felt this way from the beginning, but I, I obviously didn't feel this, feel this way when they were 6-6. Six and six. I do think that they're the team that can give the, the toughest challenge for anybody moving forward, whether it be the, the Ravens in the AFC Championship – or the 49ers in the Super Bowl because of their because of their quarterback more than anything else. But they're banged up on the secondary. I think that's going to weigh heavy this week against the Chiefs. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, talk about the Lions. I think we have about 90 seconds. Are they mm-hmm. setting up? Because I think it would be awesome to see the Bills and and the Lions in the Super Bowl just for their really beleaguered fan bases. A lot of people are saying that this, this this emotional win that they had against the Rams may be setting up them up for a letdown. What do you think about this weekend's matchup? I don't think it's going to be a letdown this weekend. I think the letdown would be in the NFC Championship. I think they're going to handle the Buccaneers without any problems this weekend, quite frankly. I really do. I think offensively they're going to be able to pick them apart. I think they're going to throw over Levante David and the whole linebacking core, and I think that's a really big deal to them. I think the Buccaneers secondary, can. I don't think they can handle the, the receivers for the Lions, I yeah. think the big thing will be, can they handle the San Francisco 49ers when they get to the NFC Championship? I do not think you can sniff on them at all because I do think that their defense can handle uh, what the what the 49ers can do. They have to get past this one, obviously, but I don't think they're a team that you can sniff on at all. I think it would be a, a tremendous matchup if it's the Lions and the Bills and the Super Bowl. I mean, because then you'll have a team that will win the Super Bowl championship that has not won one before, which is pretty incredible for the National Football League. I think this is going to be a great matchup this week for them uh, against the Buccaneers. I'm excited about a Lions-49ers NFC Championship game. If it's not that, I'll be really disappointed about it. Yeah, either the Lions now playing great football and just feel like a team of destiny at this point. Tom McCarthy, Westwood One, really great to talk to you. Thanks for giving us the time, man. All right, guys, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's funny, Trista, we sat there and we looked at the Lions and said, I don't know, could they win a playoff game, though? As the season went on, we realized that maybe they are one of the more consistent teams that we're looking at in the NFC. It's at MGM tonight. Curry and White. Ten-second difference, game clock, shot clock, Curry. Spinning, corkscrew move, inside, no! Paul gathers it in, clock at three, Curry, three, oh!
Now, back to BetMGM Tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Steph Curry and the Warriors getting Draymond back. They're 18-22, and 22, four games under 500, though. Uh, not in the playoff picture right now. Obviously, more serious things going on with the Warriors today, losing your assistant coach to a heart attack at just 46. I mean, just, just an awful, awful story. So the game against the Jazz was postponed. So, you know, it's the obvious thoughts and prayers with the organization. It's a really, really sad story that's going on there. Uh, but, you know, in, in terms of what's going on on the court right now, Trista, and, you know, I don't know, that may be something that carries over. That may be something that lingers with this team. You don't know what their mental state's going to be losing somebody like that. I think that is something to certainly consider, but we don't know, so you just kind of push forward with that. But it's it, look, the Warriors are a team right now that's struggling. The Lakers are a team that's struggling. There's some – the teams out in California, right, you got the Kings playing well, you got the Clippers looking like one of the best teams in the NBA since they make that James Harden trade. I mean, not at the beginning, but it's it's all kind of come together. Uh, the Warriors and Lakers are two teams right now that you look at and go, they got to make some serious decisions as we're three weeks away from the trade deadline where they're going to fall behind to the point where they may not even make the playoffs this season and play in on top of that. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that today prior to the show, and there's a couple of things that came to mind. One, Clearly, the locker room has been fractured. It was fractured last year. Draymond yeah. talked about it. He made it sound like it was a Jordan Poole issue. They got rid of Jordan Poole. And the issues with the chemistry still really haven't changed. So clearly, there's some sort of camp. You know, all the young guys love Jordan Poole. The old vets who won championships with Draymond obviously side with Draymond. And that's not, I don't think, changing. Andrew Wiggins hasn't been himself since he left for personal reasons last year. Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about a team tragedy. I think if, if ever something like this could shake them into a place of clarity that this is, there's bigger things going on than basketball. We need to put aside mm -hmm. whatever petty stuff we're dealing with, whatever the things that are distracting us from the end goal and really turn towards each other. This could be like a defining moment, honestly. Sometimes, I mean, uh, you know, adversity or tragedy or the combination of those two things can kind of bring people together, bring a team together, bring group, whatever, you know, whether it's sports or anything else. It's like there's, that's the human element that's there, right? So there is certainly that opportunity here for that team to do it. Uh, but I, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we know that if you're the Warriors right now and you're the Warriors front office, you're looking around going, this isn't working. This is just it's gotten past the point now where the Warriors were. Listen. All dynasties come to an end, right? They have been one of the most fun teams to watch in the history of the NBA. I love this organization. I love what Bob Myers built, and he knew what was coming down the pipes just like Sean Payton knew in New Orleans, right? He's like, this team, you get out what you can get out. You can see that everything's coming down to, like, it's all snowballing together, right? Sean Payton knew in New Orleans, hey, man, we're going to have no cap space. This team's got no, like, Drew Brees is out. It's time for me to go, too. If you're Bob Myers, you said, I think this team's starting to get older, and there's not really going to be too much flexibility to build what I've already built. You have that legacy. It's done. But if you're the Warriors now, you still have to move on past that, right? Like, Bob Myers may not be there, but you now have to look at how can you maximize whatever's left, whatever juice is left within this core that's still out there. Steph has been struggling recently, but we know there's a lot of – he's carrying a huge load. Right, like there's a certain point where there's only so much that you can do. We're watching Steph have like two for ten, three point nine. That occasionally did that before, but like you can just see this team wearing down. Pascal Siakam was a big target for them. Pacers offered a better deal. That trade went down. I, at this point, I, I don't like the the Warriors have have basically said that everybody's available but Steph Curry. But if I'm being honest with you, Trista, 
I don't see them trading Clay Thompson unless it's a really good, it's something that they can really flip this team around. I don't see them trading Traymond Green unless it's involved in some sort of trade that's going to really make this team better. But I don't know if like a lot of NBA teams are looking at the Warriors right now saying, oh, we want Clay Thompson. Oh, we want Draymond Green. Like those are guys we want. We'll give up a younger star or some assets or whatever. They're not, not going to want assets. They're going to actually just want players. I just don't know how much the Warriors can do to actually make this team anything more than what it is besides maybe some minor deals. Yeah, I think you're right about that, honestly. There's only one player that I think could help them a lot, and that's DeJounte Murray. DeJounte Murray could handle the ball, you know, allow Steph Curry to operate off ball like he does normally. But the problem really with that is that you then need to move Klay Thompson either to the bench or to play three and move Andrew Wiggins to the bench, or then a Andrew Wiggins needs to play power forward, which he really can't do, and then either Looney or Wiggins or either Looney or Draymond will play five. So it really shifts your your rotations and your roster down in a positional way that I don't think they want to do. Because let's be honest, like Clay Thompson coming off the bench, no shot. But in a perfect world without the Clay factor, I think DeJounte helps them marginally, helps them maybe get to their win total, right? Their win total right now is 40 and a half. They're not on pace for that at the moment. But if you get a guy who can score off the dribble like DeJounte Murray is and can, and who can also play defense because he's one of the best deflectors in the league, can also steal the ball, that kind of takes some pressure off of your team. Can they do it? I don't know. Is there enough that they can give Atlanta back, which is probably multiple picks and probably a young player? Mm -hmm. We're going to have to see. Yeah, it's just, I mean, again, at some point these things come to an end, but you can try to, try to do whatever you can to kind of stretch this out. But it's just, it's crazy to think the Warriors were in a spot where you thought they're going to have young players to help them transition to the next era. And now James Wiseman's not playing at all in Detroit, right? Like that, that, that you got Moses Moody wanting out, Jonathan Kaminga wanting out because Steve Kerr can't develop young players. I mean, geez, it's, it's just crazy to think of where this team actually is. We do have breaking NFL news though, Trista, and it involves oh. your Dallas Cowboys. Mike McCarthy is staying in Dallas. Woo! I love it. They get embarrassed in the playoffs again. He found a new way to lose and embarrass the organization. But Jarrah said, oh, I'm very happy. I think we're going to keep Mike McCarthy around another year. He is my guy. Trista, I, I know you're upset and you have your shirt over your face right now, but I'm going to be honest with you. Mike McCarthy is the guy to help lead us to a Super Bowl. We don't win a lot of playoff games with him as a quarterback or as a head coach, but it's okay because it's going to be different. Bill Belichick's available. No, no, Jim Harbaugh's available. It's all right. Mike McCarthy is my guy. Oh, I love it. My team's going to be finally turning things around while the Dallas Cowboys stay exactly the same. Things are looking up, my friend. <laughs> Oh, my God. I did not <laughs> see that come in. Michael Irvin went on Twitter the other day and asked, pleaded for Jerry to let go of everybody. Dan Quinn's going to leave, and it's just going to be Mike McCarthy yeah. leaving us to the Wolves. He's going to end up as the head coach in Seattle, and we got to stay with Mike McCarthy when there's legendary coaches out there? What the F are we doing? Are you serious? This That's is, not real news. That's Dove Climate. Who's, who you, did that? Who posted that? Sorry, that's Schefter. That's Schefter. It's official. That's stuff. Schefter? When Schefter says it. Yep, that's Schefter. That's Schefter. That's it. That means it's real. I, I just...
at what point does Jerry Jones look around and just say, this team has no future with the way that it's currently constructed, with the way that it's being coached? If you ever could have an opportunity as an owner where you thought maybe our head coach is going to be limited when it comes to the playoffs, maybe our head coach can only get us so far. This is the offseason where you look around and say, I'm going to make a change. Bill Belichick's available. I take Bill Belichick over Mike McCarthy, even though I think Bill Belichick is rigid and isn't really good at player evaluation anymore and shouldn't be drafting any young players. I'd still take him over Mike McCarthy. Jim Harbaugh, give him all the money. He just won a national championship. He's talking to the Falcons and the Chargers, and you don't even want to have a conversation with this guy, not let alone some of these young coordinators like a Ben Johnson. It's Dallas. Throw all the money at Ben Johnson. I don't want you to, but like that, that's, that would be what you do if you're going to be Jerry Jones to sit. And watch for the last two years where time management ends your season in one playoff game. Then the next year, you decide Zeke Elliott should play center all by himself. Don't know what the hell you were thinking. One of the worst play calls in NFL history. And then in this year, I know the score may not reflect it. You get your ass beat at home where you were unbeaten during the regular season by the Green Bay Packers. Yet you, as Jerry Jones, sit there and say, oh, I think Mike McCarthy is the guy that should stick around and lead our team to the future. And we're going to win a Super Bowl. Good. Keep this going because everybody that roots against Dallas, we love seeing it. If you're going to continue to accept mediocrity year after year after year and just roll it on back for another year, everybody outside of you Dallas Cowboys fans, Trista, is going to be absolutely ecstatic, and I'm right in the mix with the rest of them. They were up 27-0. to zero. I don't know what you do. He said it was the worst loss that he's ever had in 80 years. <laughs> And, and you do nothing as a result of your worst loss in 80 years? We just keep everything the same? What, what, what is accountability nowadays? Do we not have any? You just don't do your job. You lose to the lowest seed in the entire NFL playoffs. And you literally get, you had to grab your ankles, no lube, and just straight take it on your own home turf. And we don't make any changes? Are we serious right now? Jerry Jones, he just needs to croak. It's time. I thought maybe he would be seeing the light, but it's time for us to give this legacy and this team over to his kids. I think they'd be making some changes, Ashu. I am livid right now. I am genuinely furious that I had to get that broken on the air. I I just wonder what, like, Jerry Jones stays way too loyal. Like, honestly, he really does. Yes. I, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know what, like, what could you possibly at this point see that you think that, again, right, good regular season team, we know that's not enough, unless maybe it is. Like, maybe really Jerry Jones, the things that he says publicly aren't really how he feels. Maybe at this point he's like, you know what, I just want this team to be relevant. I want them to be successful. I want them to be one of the most valuable franchises in the NFL. And we've already won our Super Bowls. I've seen it, and that's part of my legacy. I don't know. I don't have any other explanation for why this decision is what it is. Yeah, uh, New York Yankees, Chicago Bulls, Dallas Cowboys. What do those three teams have in common? Well, they at one point were storied franchises that won a lot of titles mm -hmm. and has created a level of buzz and profitability for the franchise. And all three are resting on the past and their laurels, just raking in money based on what they've done in the last 20 years, not in the last 10. 
could probably argue the Lakers are in that mix too, right? I mean, I know they won a championship in the bubble a couple years ago, though they are in-season tournament champions, so I don't know. Got to respect the Lakers for that. Hang in that banner. That's what we got. We'll talk to Tim Barbales live from Baltimore next. Fed MGM tonight.